Uh, scripture reads in uh, Psalm 32, verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man uh, whose sin the Lord does not count uh, against him, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The psalmist writes, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God invites us as his people uh, to come clean before him, to acknowledge who we are and who he is, uh, to seek forgiveness, uh, knowing that forgiveness is found in Jesus. And so I want to invite us to do that in the quietness of these next moments, just a pause and confess uh, to the Lord and, uh, and be open and honest with a God uh, who already knows. Would you pray with me? God, we uh, come before you and acknowledge that you are perfect and we are not. Uh, Lord, we acknowledge that we are uh, a sinful people. Uh, there are times when we sin in word and in thought and in deed. Uh, we uh, do things and say things that we shouldn't do and we shouldn't say. There are times when we uh, should speak up and we should move and we do not. Uh, there are times uh, where our thoughts are not honoring and glorifying to you. And so we bring those before you this morning. We uh, confess, we come clean. And Lord, we thank you that your word teaches us that there is forgiveness. Uh, in Jesus, in his perfect sacrifice, in his work on the cross, there is uh, forgiveness for us. And so we give you thanks. Uh, God, we love you, we commit these things to you, and we pray them in Jesus' name, amen. At Christ Point, we're passionate about coming alongside ministry partners, uh, partnering with them and praying for them. Uh, recently, I asked some of our ministry partners, what are some things that we as a church family can be praying about for you? Uh, I asked David from 1-7, what are some of the things that we can be praying about for you, for your ministry? And he mentioned to me, James, we are in need of a school teacher down at 1-7 International Academy. We've been praying for this person. We've been interviewing people. Would you pray that God would provide someone for that role? And so we want to do that this morning. We want to pray for 1-7 Academy. Uh, I asked uh, John, one of our ministry partners in, uh, at CIN, how can we be praying for you? And he said, James, uh, over the last couple years, we have adopted uh, a number of children in Bolivia 
Uh, we still are in need of sponsors for these children. There are a number of children that don't have sponsors. Would your church family pray that God would provide the sponsors that, uh, that we need? And I said, absolutely, we'll, I will pray for that. I talked to David and Ruth, uh, missionaries in the Middle East. I said, how can we be praying for you? And they said, James, we have a, a small group of believers three to five people who have been meeting in a small group, and, and we have a hopes that God would allow us to plant a church. Uh, would you pray that that little group would grow and uh, that God would use us to, to start a new congregation in our homeland? He said, James, we're rejoicing that uh, five new believers have been baptized over the last uh, couple months. Would, would your people give thanks to God for that? And he said, James, we're working on some materials to give to uh, Farsi-speaking people uh, where we serve, would you pray for effectiveness for those materials uh, to go out? And so I want to invite you, church family, uh, if you would, to be praying for 1-7, be praying for CIN, be praying for David and Ruth, be praying for our partnership with OCC. So I want to invite you, if you would, uh, right now, in the quietness of this moment, if you would pray for them. God, I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi when uh, he said, I thank my God in all remembrance of you. I always, in every prayer of mine for you, uh, with, with great joy uh, because of your partnership in the gospel from this day, uh, from this day on. Lord, I, I pray for our ministry partners, for our partners in the gospel, for those who know and love you and advance uh, your gospel both here in our own backyard and around the world. I pray that by the power of of your Holy Spirit, that you would meet their needs. I pray that you would uh, cause them to not grow weary in doing good. God, I pray that you would provide a, a teacher at the 1-7 Academy. I, I pray that you would provide sponsors for uh, those young children in Bolivia. Uh, Lord, I pray for David and, and Ruth, that you would encourage their hearts and that you would uh, give them strength and courage for the ministry that you've called them to. Uh, God, thank you for inviting us to be a part of what you're doing around the world. This morning, uh, we pause and we give thanks. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I had the opportunity to catch up with an old friend yesterday, and we were talking about the Lord's Prayer. And so I wanted to read you guys what Jesus says about prayer. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 5, he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard 
for their many words. But don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask it. What a, what a great promise. Your Father knows what you need before you even ask it. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I'd like us to pray for Christ Point, and I'd like you to pray for yourselves. First, let's pray for Christ Point. Uh, our ministries, land, uh, our, our, our fundraising and also our lease agreement. For our ministries, think about all the ministries that we have here. Our kids' ministry, our student ministry, our impact team, our prayer team, our small groups and our small group leaders, our worship team, our go team, our tech team, our security team, our men's team, and our women's team. Let's pray for them. Let's also pray, like we praise God for the land he's provided for us, the six and a half acres and just pray as we finalize the plans for that and also the loan with the lender. And we've, we've, grown, our, we've grown by 18% over the last three years financially, and also we have over uh, 50% of the down payment for our loan. So praise God for that and pray that he closes the gap there. And last is what a miracle. God created an avenue for us to have contact with the county, and we're working on a lease agreement, a two-year lease agreement with them to be able to stay here. So pray that that finalizes soon, and uh, just praise God for that. So um, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that we have full access to you and you're seated at the right hand of your Father. And we thank you that you hear, you hear every word we ask and we say and we praise God. And so, Jesus, we, uh, we, we pray for all the ministries at Christ Point, um, that you would continue to raise up the right leaders, God. I pray that uh, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear how you want us to move in those areas. God, I, we praise you for the land that you provided and the plans that are already in place and the loan that's already in place, God. We pray that you would just give us wisdom as we move and finalize those and we break ground this year. God, we thank you for just the growth that you have given Christ Point and just the spiritual growth of the, your people, but also you, you've so been so generous even through COVID for us to grow, God. So we praise you for that. Uh, and we just thank you for what you've done with the agreement with the uh, Mecklenburg County, and we thank you for those contacts, and we, God, we praise you in advance for the closing 
of that contract really soon, God. We love you. Thank you that you've already gone before us. In your name, amen. And I love here in Matthew 6, 8, it says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So God already knows what you need before you're even going to pray for it. That's hard. Think about that. God already knows what you need before you even ask for it. But He still wants you to ask for it. He still wants you to ask for it. So I know in this group, there's probably hundreds of prayers, requests, and uh, needs that you're begging God to answer. But he's a good God. He hears every word you say. And so I invite you to pray for yourself now and ask God for what you want. Jesus, we thank you that your word says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They, never, they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet our heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add one single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and today, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not so much more clothe you? O ye of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." Jesus, we thank you that you know us, that you know our needs uh, before we even ask, that you take care of the birds of the air and the lilies, and, and, but you love us so much more. And so, God, we, I pray over everyone here that's online or that's in this barn, God, that you would take away fear, that you would take away anxiety, that you would take away any kind of guilt that they have, God, and, and you would open their eyes to the relationship you want to have with them, that you are enough, that you satisfy, that you provide what we're looking for and we're seeking. I pray that we would come to you with open arms, Jesus. In your holy name, amen. Would you please stand with us and sing this chorus with us? I 
standing we'll uh, read from John chapter 3 God's word says this it says now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews this man came to Jesus by night and said to him rabbi we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him Jesus answered him truly truly I say to you Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is, where someone, it, is where, it is with someone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet do you not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Praise God for his word. Well, it is an exciting time in the Metzger household. Our oldest son, I just turned 18 years old recently. It's quite an accomplishment. I had very little to do with it. Uh, if you remember what it was like when you were 18 years old, a senior in high school, dreaming about what God had in store for you, thinking about your next steps, wondering about where you would attend university. I mean, just think about, remember the excitement of summarizing your life work, all that you've accomplished, your grades, your test scores, 
all your community service, and sending it to numerous institutions in hopes that they would look at you and say, yes, you are good enough for us. I mean, when you think about that, how absolutely frightening. How frightening is it to think about all you've accomplished in your life for the last four years and send it out somewhere to a room full of people trying to assess whether or not you are good enough. As I was thinking about that, I thought it's a lot like dating. You remember when you started dating for the first time and you would ask someone, would you like uh, to go out with me? And they might say, yes, yes, I would. I am so glad that you asked. Or, or you might get deferred. <laughs> they may say to you, you know, thank you. Thank you for asking. I've also asked a number of people to go out and I like them a lot. But I don't know if they like me, so let me get back to you. Other times you may ask someone and they will say to you, you know what, I'm going to wait list you. I'm gonna wait. I don't know if you have great chances or not, but I'm going to put you on the wait list and if things go your way, uh, you will be accepted. And then other people uh, just kind of look at what you've presented and say, no, <laughs> no, no, go, go, please. Please go. We don't want your money. Please go somewhere else. It's actually kind of a frightening thing. I started thinking about that recently, and I wondered, uh, what does it take? What does it take for someone to be accepted into God's kingdom university? Like, how do you get a yes from the God of the universe? It's interesting when you study Scripture. There are times when people are accepted. And you kind of scratch your head a little bit and think to yourself, how did they make it? And then there are other times uh, when you read someone's spiritual resume and think to yourself, boy, if anyone is in, it would be them. And they don't make it. And so how does one get in? And why is it that some... Uh, remain out? Uh, this is a question, believe it or not, that God's Word addresses in John chapter 3. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 1. If you're a student of the Scripture, you know that John chapter 3 uh, follows John chapter 2. <laughs> Four years of seminary for that right there. Uh, that's important because a scripture is something to be read in context. And sometimes it's all too easy for us to pluck a passage here or there, sort of decide what it says or what it means, when oftentimes, all the time, it is written in the context of its surroundings. And so in the context of John chapter 3, a passage uh, that contains perhaps, arguably, the most well-known verse on the planet, John chapter 3, verse 16, uh, it's important for us to understand what is taking place here. Uh, Billy mentioned this verse last week, John chapter 2, verse 23, reads, Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. 
But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. It seems on the surface level that Jesus is teaching that some faith is not saving faith. There are some people who claim to have faith or have a relationship with the God of the universe, and Jesus here is going, "Mm, not so fast. There are times, apparently, where some seek signs from God, but they don't seek God. They may want the God of the universe to move and act and do something, but they don't want the God of the universe. And Jesus is saying in John chapter 2 that his father, he uh, knows the difference. He knows how to differentiate uh, between one group and the other. If you're a student of Scripture, if you're reading this passage, that is a stop you in your tracks statement. It is. I mean, I, I read that, you may hear that, and you go, wait a second. Like, what in the world is going on there? What Scripture does, and I love this, is it starts to to sort of paint a picture of individuals who are far from God and and what it looks like for them to draw near. Uh, There's going to be a number of encounters that Jesus has with individuals after this passage where we're going to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and see why is it that some were accepted, why some apparently were uh, good enough in the eyes of God, and, and why others were not waitlisted or, or put on hold. They just were like, no. And the first character that we read about is a religious man, a spiritual leader. Uh, his name is Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Uh, We know based on this short introduction of Nicodemus that he was a man of high authority in the religious leadership in Israel. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jewish people. Not all Pharisees were elevated to this level, uh, but, but Nicodemus was. I mean, Nicodemus, to put it in today's vernacular, was just kind of a big spiritual deal. People would look at him in that culture, particularly the Jewish people, and go, he has his stuff together. If they had his spiritual resume, they would read through it and say, not only are you invited into God's kingdom university, you're getting scholarship money. Right? He's, he is the toast of the town. And one day he comes to Jesus and we're told that he approaches him at night. We don't know why Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Uh, perhaps he had a busy schedule that day. He had a lot, uh, a lot of to-dos on his list that he needed to get done before he could meet. I guess that's a possibility. But most people suggest that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he didn't want to be seen. He didn't want other people to know that he was talking to Jesus of Nazareth. He wanted to keep this conversation 
close to the vest. He didn't want to advertise it amongst the crowd. Nicodemus approaches Jesus at night and speaks words that seem respectful. Nicodemus said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so notice Nicodemus said, we know, we know. So Nicodemus at this point is speaking not just on his behalf, uh, but he is speaking for others. Perhaps he's speaking for uh, the ruling body of the Jews, his, his fellow colleagues. He's telling Jesus, we've kind of come to these conclusions. We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I read that statement admittedly, and if you don't know any other parts of the story, you might think, well, Nicodemus maybe is on to something. Like he goes to Jesus, he refers to him as rabbi or teacher. It's a, it's a respectful title. He acknowledges that there's something unique about Jesus. Uh, Jesus clearly is someone who has been sent from God. He's heard some of the stories about this man. And so I, I read those verses and I go, well, I, I mean, maybe Nicodemus is on the right track. But, but Jesus didn't think so. See, Nicodemus wasn't confessing that Jesus was the Messiah or God incarnate, but he just was sure that Jesus was sent from God. And there are plenty of others, there are plenty of other world religions that may believe that about Jesus, that may refer to him as a teacher or a, a godly man. But Jesus was so much more. John chapter 2, again, reads, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. Uh, we know from other places in Scripture that, that just because someone does signs or the miraculous uh, doesn't mean that they're sent from God. Um, there are other people, we're told in John chapter 24, verse 24, uh, it reads, false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Right, so lots of people may believe that Jesus was sent from God, but that doesn't mean that they're trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Many people could see signs or wonders, things that would impress you, that would blow your socks off, and that doesn't necessarily mean that that person uh, is a sent from God. Right, so, so Nicodemus begins this conversation with Jesus, and he essentially opens up a can of worms. He says to Jesus, Rabbi, like, I know you're sent from God because no one can do the works that you're doing unless he has been sent from God. And then Jesus answered him in John chapter 3, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus did not say to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, thank you for your kind words. Thank you for referring to me as teacher or rabbi. Thank you for noticing that I have been sent from God. He does not say that. 
Uh, Jesus pulls no punches. One commentator says, Jesus wasn't interested in diplomacy. He was interested in both truth and in redemption. Jesus was not interested in diplomacy. He was interested in truth and in redemption. He wasn't consumed by what this religious leader might think of him. He didn't go out of his way to win the religious crowd. He was after the human heart. And so when Nicodemus comes to him at night and refers to him as rabbi, someone sent from God, Jesus gets a straight to the point. When Scripture says truly, truly, another translation would be I tell you the truth or most assuredly, it's a way of emphasizing that what I'm about to say to you is true. Take note, write it down. That's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Truly, truly, what does he say? I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. When I read this, I thought to myself, Jesus here seems to be speaking a whole lot more like a northerner uh, then he does a southerner. When we moved from uh, the Detroit area or Michigan, West Michigan, down to the south, oftentimes people would ask us, James, what have you noticed is the difference from people in the north compared to people in the south? And I always said to them, people in the north, when they don't like you, you know it, right? There's no pleasantries, like they're, they're not going to fake it. They give you the stink eye, or they'll just tell you how they feel. In the South, we have this catch-all phrase, which is, bless your heart. But I don't know if that's like a sweet motherly thing where you're like, oh, I want God's best for you, or if that's, you're an idiot. I haven't been able to tell the difference. Here, Jesus isn't beating around the bush the spiritual leader comes to him, the one revered in that culture, the one looked up to, the one who you would think would make it into God's kingdom university. And, and he's talking about how to get in, and Jesus tells him, if you want to get in, you must be born again. And he hears that, maybe Nicodemus hears that and thinks, well, great. Um, what does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, that's, that's churchy language. Born again, rebirth, born from above. Like, what, is, what does that mean? What does it mean to be born from above or born again? And Jesus is teaching Nicodemus that, that life with God is not, not based on physical birth, but spiritual birth birth. Jesus is teaching Nicodemus in order to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be rightly related with God, to participate in his kingdom. He must be born supernaturally. And so Nicodemus, understandably, has a follow-up question because Jesus tells him, you must be born again. And Nicodemus replies, um, question, how can a man be born when he is old? And then he says something, quite honestly, is pretty crass. He says, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, we, we read this, and, and maybe you read that and you think, Nicodemus is just seeking clarity. 
Like he, he really doesn't know. And he's just trying to help Jesus help him understand. But, but Nicodemus was, uh, was not stupid. Uh, he, he wasn't uneducated. His statement that he makes to Jesus, I believe in part, is a statement of disbelief. We don't know the tone of how he said it, but I, I can almost imagine Nicodemus going, like, really? Like, seriously, Jesus? How is that going to happen? Like, how are, how are you going to pull that off? And so Jesus replies, John chapter 3, verse 5, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is expanding, he's describing, he's explaining his first statement, which may or may not be helpful. He says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, well, what is that all about? And Jesus says to him, well, you must be born of water and the Spirit. (laughs) And maybe Nicodemus thinks to himself, well, what what is that all about? Jesus, in, in talking about being born of water and the Spirit, I mean, I hear that and I think, well, I mean, he's talking about spiritual birth. He's talking about the Spirit of the living God doing something in you uh, to cause you to have eyes to see when you don't see. But what is Jesus talking about when he talks about being born of water and the Spirit? Water and the Spirit. Some people look at that passage and go, well, maybe Jesus is talking about baptism. Maybe Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you need to be baptized and you need to experience spiritual rebirth. But I don't believe that Jesus is talking about water baptism. I think Jesus is speaking to an educated Jew uh, who knows the Old Testament Scripture, and and he's using a a picture uh, for Nicodemus of what does it look like to experience new life. I think in part, Jesus could be referring to Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through uh, 27, that speak of this new birth. It says in Ezekiel 36, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, uh, all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus knew he was talking to a teacher of the Jews. He uses this imagery of purification that Nicodemus should have understood. Jesus continues and says to Nicodemus in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus is teaching Nicodemus that no one is born a Christian. Uh, the, The flesh, our flesh, doesn't produce redemption. This was a common error that the Jewish people made. There was just this assumption that we're kind of We're sort of born into the family. It's an assumption that oftentimes we can have within the church as well, where we just kind of assume that we're a part of the church because we grew up in the church. 
You ask someone, tell me about your relationship with the Lord. Talk to me about your faith. And they'll say, oh, my, you know, my grandmother, my grandmother, she always attended first whatever of wherever. Like, she grew up in the church. She always brought the kids. You know, the kids would come. We didn't have a choice. And then so we just took our kids. And there's this assumption that if you were sort of born into a religious family that you're in. You're born to the right house. And Jesus is saying, no, the one who was born of flesh is flesh. The one who was born of the Spirit is Spirit. Christianity is not hereditary. You don't get it from your mom's side of the family. You may hear about Jesus from your mom's side of the family. You don't get Jesus from your mom's side of the family. How does it happen? How is one born of the Spirit? How is one spiritually renewed? All this religious language that Jesus is using with Nicodemus. So so Jesus continues, do not marvel, this is verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. (laughs) Religious man comes up to Jesus and strikes up a conversation and tells Jesus that he's impressed with his teaching and that he believes he has been sent from God. And Jesus looks at him and says, you must be born again. Maybe he thinks, great, what does that mean? And Jesus says, you must be born of water in the Spirit. And maybe the man thinks to himself, well, great, what does that mean? And then Jesus tells him, well, like, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. How does it happen? This is how it happens. The wind blows. <laughs> no, like how, like, like, how does it happen? Like, stick in the fire, like, card, Aisle, like, 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 recite word, like, how does it happen? And Jesus says to Nicodemus, and he says to you and to me, I'll, I'll tell you how it happens. I'll pull back the curtain just a little, and I'll explain how it happens. Like the, the, the wind of the Holy Spirit of God blows. And the Spirit gives us eyes to see when we didn't see and hearts to receive when we didn't believe. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying the Spirit isn't constrained by us. We don't don't control the Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes. The Spirit does as, as He pleases. The wind blows where it wishes. We experience the effects of the move of the Spirit. Jesus says you hear its sound. You see the wind. You go outside, you see the trees moving. If you've ever been walking around with a hat and the wind blows and it blows your hat off and you're going, uh, like you experience the effect of the wind, but you, you don't cause it to move. We don't control the Spirit of God. We don't tell Him what we want Him to do. Mark 4, verse 26 through 27, the kingdom of God is is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Picture this. It's a farmer, takes seed, he goes out and he scatters it on the ground. 
He sleeps and rises the next day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. That's a picture of the spiritual life. That's the picture in part of new birth. How does it happen? Someone scattered seed falls asleep and wakes up in the morning and goes, ah. <laughs> it grew, but I don't know how. Mark 4 puts it that way. Jesus puts it this way. This is how it happened. When I think about this, I am reminded, I'm reminded again and again how beautifully simplistic and utterly mysterious the gospel is. I mean, I say it's beautifully simplistic because it is. I mean, it is. Like God gave us his word so that we would know and understand the good news. He's not playing hide and go seek with us. He wants to reveal himself to us. 1 John 5, 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Believe that Jesus is the Christ. How does that happen? 1 John 5, 11, God gave us eternal life, and this is life in his Son. God gives it to us. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, but all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but, but God. It's the gospel is beautifully simplistic. Like, come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus, that he is who he claimed to be. He's the Savior of the world, your Savior. Like, be- believe that. And I say it is utterly mysterious because we, we want to boil it down and we want to figure it out and we grasp to put language to how does one believe, like, how does it happen how was one's life changed? And God goes, the Spirit of God just... The wind blows. The Spirit moves. John chapter 6, verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. And so why is that significant to Nicodemus, and why is that significant to you and to me? It's significant because in Nicodemus's eyes, the way that he was accepted before God essentially was to earn his way there. He was going to be obedient to the law. What is it? What am I supposed to do? I'll do it. What am I not supposed to do? I won't do it. I'll know the law. I'll teach the law. I'll follow the law. I'll believe in the law. I will be a good religious spiritual, moral person. That's how I'll get accepted. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. No. No, you, you must be born again. You must be born again. How does that happen? The wind blows. I mean, Nicodemus, for his part, remains puzzled. He said in verse 9, how can these things be? And Jesus did not immediately answer that question. Instead, he calls Nicodemus out for his ignorance. You notice this? He said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? 
It was as if Jesus was saying to him, you, you, you don't know this. You, this is new to you. Like, oh, oh, student of the law, you who know the Old Testament forward and back, you teacher who come alongside others, you, this, you don't know. Because you, sh- you should know. But Jesus is telling Nicodemus that you, you don't. There, there is mystery in how God grants eternal life. And yet, there is also clarity in how God does it. It is utterly mysterious. It is beautifully simplistic. Jesus went on to say to Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of God who is in heaven. Jesus' main point in communicating these words to Nicodemus was to teach him and to show him uh, that he had authority to speak about eternal truths. He said to Nicodemus, in a sense, Nicodemus, you're talking to the one who has come down from heaven, and you do not know me. Nicodemus, you must be born again. You can't earn your way to me. You can't. You can't white-knuckle your way to God. Yesterday morning, I, I read... A headline from a recent article, such a tragic event. It stopped me in my tracks. This is what it read. Five dead, including patient and medical personnel in care flight plane crash. Five people are dead, including a patient and medical personnel after a care flight plane crashed late Friday in Nevada. The incident occurred at approximately 9.15 when the Lyon County Dispatch Center began receiving multiple calls regarding a possible plane crash near Stagecoach, Nevada, about 45 minutes east of Reno, according to a statement from the Lyon County Sheriff's Office. Um, someone in, in dire need of help. I mean, you know, like someone in dire need of help. And they were, they were, <laughs> they were dying. And they needed to, to get to the hospital fast. And so they, they sent, uh, they, they sent um, the, the plane that would carry them, um, that would get them the help that they would need. And that plane crashed. The, the very thing that they thought would transport them to safety and life and caused their death. A tragic story. And oddly, when I, when I read it, I thought to myself, um, how, many, how many times in life are we tempted to trust in something, whatever it is, that will give us life only to realize that it brings death. There, there is, there's one way, there's one way uh, to, to God. 
There's one way to God. And there is such a temptation to believe or trust in the wrong thing. Whether it's our good works, whether it's who we know, whether it's our effort, whether it's us being better than someone else. Uh, can I ask you this morning, uh, what or who are you trusting in? What or who are you trusting in? We don't earn our way to God. We can't. We're not born into the family. That's not the way that it works. As the old hymn is sung, not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All could never sin erase, thou must save and save by grace. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me Savior or I die. Uh, the, the beautiful part of the story is that, that, that God does that. Uh, through the finished work of Jesus, he washes us and he cleanses us. Through the finished work of Jesus, those who are dead have been made alive. And he does that through faith and the finished work of his son Jesus, who came and lived the life that we could never live and died the death that we deserve. He was buried, he defeated death, he rose from the grave. And in his death and in his resurrection, uh, he offers life uh, to you and to me. How does it happen? The Spirit of the living God gives us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive. And so my prayer for us this morning, for you, if you do not know God, is that the Spirit of the living God would give you eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive. Would you pray with me? Uh, God, we give you thanks this morning for Jesus. Uh, he is our only hope in life uh, and in death. We find great comfort in knowing that your promises are true. Lord, we, we take great comfort in knowing that you invite us to come to you. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for the way that you work. It is uh, mysterious on one hand, and yet it's clear on the other. You, you want us uh, to see and to believe in Jesus. And so I pray that you would give us hearts to do that uh, this morning. Uh, Jesus, your name is above every other name. Uh, Jesus, you are the only one who can save. Um, you are worthy, and so we live for you. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your Spirit. Amen.